Well, hi, everybody. Kim Winter here um, from Logistics Executive Group. We're uh, talking to a special guest this morning. As part of our Woman in Leadership series, but my guest is so much more than a woman in leadership. She is an international speaker. She is a celebrated author, philanthropy consultant. Uh, she's a Rooney International Scholar. Um, she's a TED Talker. And actually, the way that I found her was listening to, randomly listening, listening to a TED Talk the other day, which staggered me. And I must say, we want to talk about that a little bit. I was I was thrown by it. It was the 18 minutes TED talk, which made a huge impact on me, and I'm so pleased that it did. Um, my guest is also a member of Rotary. Her name is Gertrude Machi Kanetsky. Gertrude, welcome, and uh, and thank you for joining us today. It's an absolute pleasure, Kim. Thank you for having me. Now, as a dis- as a disclosure. Of course, we have something in common, and that's a little bit to do with location. So let's tell everybody where you're from today. Well, I am sitting in Melbourne, Australia, um, originally from Zimbabwe, living in New Zealand, and happily stuck in Australia at the moment. And your New Zealand home is in Wellington, which is uh, which is my family home as well. So we uh, we congratulate right. to that degree, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful coincidence. Absolutely, absolutely. Gertrude, you've had a, uh, a splendid, varied, uh, incredible career to date and life to date. And uh, what I'd like you to do is, is to share with us, um, in terms of your leadership journey, where the early days, please, and, and where it all started for you in, in Africa. And the word Mother Africa keeps on coming into my mind after watching your TED Talk, I must say. Um, But then we want to talk also about your latest book. Um, So I want to get to that as well. So where did it all start for you, Gertrude? My journey began at the age of 17. You know, when people say, when did you find what your life purpose was? I was 17 years old, visiting my grandmother I was born in the Eastern Highlands of Zimbabwe in a village called Wedza on the border of Zimbabwe and Mozambique. And World Health had flown into our village that week and they were dropping flyers and condoms out of a helicopter as an AIDS awareness campaign, trying to conscientize people about the spread of AIDS. Mm. And I watched the parents running and catching the pieces of paper looked at the cartoon characters. The next minute they were using the paper to light their fires. I watched the kids running around the village, having blown up the condoms into balloons. And then they would run the workshops on how to stop the spread of AIDS and demonstrate how to use a condom by putting it on a broomstick. Every single hut in my community had a broomstick with a condom behind the door to stop the spread of AIDS. And it was a ridiculous campaign. I plucked up the courage to write a letter to World Health, explained my observations, and asked them to sponsor me to write a play that had an AIDS theme to it. Because in Africa, as you know, we pass down knowledge through storytelling. Mm. So we would act in this play. The message and the story was about HIV and AIDS and how it was spreading. And then we would run the workshops in the vernacular languages so the community could fully understand what was coming and what that virus was all about. Wow. 
it's uh, it, it's quite an ins- inspiring way to, to to make a move and make your make your statement. Um, you you weren't in uh, Africa for, for that long. Um, you, as a as a young woman, I understand you you moved. You, what was the inspiration for for heading overseas and branching out and and taking a step that probably from somebody with your background was a huge huge moment. It was a huge moment. Um, but I have to say, my parents were the adventurers. My father had got a scholarship in 1967, the year I was born, to study in London. And so he left me and my sister with my grandmother, took his young wife. My mother became a nurse. My dad became a chartered accountant. So they kind of paved the way to go overseas. When I was 19, I decided to do the same thing, went to London to try and get my first degree. Unfortunately, I had no scholarship. I had no money. It didn't really work out. Ended up leaving and getting pregnant while I was there. So I had to abandon my studies, lose all of my jobs, and then got a magical opportunity to take part in a musical production about Nelson Mandela in Norway. And I went to Norway for a while, lived in Norway, acting and dancing in a musical about my hero. I eventually went back to Zimbabwe and got married, Uh, lived in Zimbabwe for a little bit. Then we moved to South Africa just before South Africa had independence. And then I went back to university when I was 27 and I had two children. And I studied, did a Bachelor of Commerce degree, majored in industrial psychology and management. So that was the journey. And then from there, we moved to New Zealand as a family. You were busy. You were very busy on the uh, on the educational front. Anyway, it's uh, it's a huge task to get one degree done without uh, multiple degrees. Um, so New Zealand and uh, what into into Auckland or into Wellington? Straight to Wellington. I've lived in Wellington for twenty one years. Absolutely love it. Have no intention of going anywhere else. It's a beautiful city. It is indeed, and. Uh, and of course, uh, while you've been there, um, uh, reading your bio and having a look at things at the top of the of the show today, um, you, you again we have a bit of a kindred spirit. You you gained some interest in the issue of recruitment, and from what I understand, you were I'm not too sure which one came first, but you ended up being in the recruitment field for for medical professionals. But also, you met one of New Zealand's most famous. Uh, famous uh, writers and filmmakers, um, Peter Jackson from our hometown there in Wellington, who made Lord of the Rings and a whole range of other King Kong and a lot of other movies. Now, you've got a connection with King Kong. Tell us about that. So I started with a recruiting agency for doctors when we arrived. My ex-husband was a doctor, and I just saw the hundreds of vacancies for health professionals in New Zealand and Australia. And I just wrote back to Africa, told some friends, Placed my first five doctors and made $125,000 in three months and created a multi-million dollar business. I then got the opportunity with Peter Jackson because I stalked him. I've got to be honest. <laughs> As a storyteller, it was fascinating to live in a city with a man like him. They were giving lectures and talks while they were making Lord of the Rings and you could go and listen and participate. And I plucked up the courage one day. I was sitting at the back of the hall listening to the guy who designed the spider in Lord of the Rings. And I put up my hand and I said, do you 
what can I do to act in the next film? Mm. And they happened to be casting for King Kong at the time and looking for 350 African extras for one scene. <laughs> and I saw the business opportunity immediately and offered my services. I knew a lot of people in the African community. I was working with the refugee service, volunteering there. I worked on the Wellington City Council's ethnic forum. And so I created a database in a weekend through those communities that I sold to Weta, went into the film and advertising business, recruiting extras for King Kong, for Avatar, films that Denzel Washington came to film in New Zealand. And yeah, it's been a fascinating 21 years. Irrepressible entrepreneurial spirit, no question about that. But uh, yeah, Wellington does tend to have that bit of an effect on you as well, because there's a lot of dreamers in Wellington and it's uh, it's a uni town and uh, there's a lot of people making their way in the world. And certainly the first 40 years of my life, I have extremely fond memories of Wellington and uh, and can't wait to get back, I'm sure. But uh, look, so so you, you've gone from uh, recruitment, you've gone from being a scholar, uh, you, you've worked around different elements of uh, social support. And as you said, with the, the refugees and uh, in coming into New Zealand, which is New Zealand for its size, I think you can say it's always been fairly welcoming of bringing refugees in. But then you moved into um, being a speaker and advising people on philanthropy. Um, talk to me a little bit about where the vision came to, to get into the speaking and then the book. I want to talk about the book and, and what's the book's title and what is it about? Well, I, I wrote my first book a year after I got to New Zealand and I was trying to find a way to make money to pay for school fees for the orphaned children in my immediate family. Yep. So this is my second pandemic. The AIDS pandemic wiped out most of my family, my generation. My grandmother had 11 children. She had 34 grandchildren. 19 of my first cousins died of HIV-related diseases, including my youngest brother. So we had 49 orphaned kids on my side of the family alone and another 40 on my ex-husband's side. Wow. So I thought, let me learn about self-publishing. Got coaching and mentoring from Mark Victor Hansen and Jack Hanfield, the two guys who wrote Chicken Soup of the Soul, the best self-published authors in the world. And they took me under their wing and coached me and mentored me and showed me how to, to sell this book. And that's what created the speaking career. I didn't deliberately go into speaking. I spoke to sell the book. And before I knew it, people started passing my name to events planners. And it turned into an amazing 21-year career that has taken me to 56 countries. I don't know how many towns, villages, cities in between. Yeah. It's been incredible. And the book that's coming up now is called Ubuntu uh, Leadership. And it's a handbook for diversity, inclusion, and belonging. I found as a minority living in New Zealand, Australia, there was a need for these conversations to be had. I have been asked to do a lot of workshops in the corporate world. And so I needed something that I could take in to leave behind so people could really grasp some of these concepts. And we want to is an interesting philosophy and really ties well into leadership in the sense that as a leader, you lead from behind. It is servant leadership where you put 
your staff, your employees, those you work with you in front of you. So you're not standing in front, you're uplifting them, you're being a mentor, you're being a, a role model for them to follow your behavior. And the four pillars of Ubuntu, again, apply perfectly to leadership. Ubuntu has got four C's and an E. It's community, compassion, collaboration, and connection. And the E is empathy. And all of those are really needed in any organization. So I look at unconscious bias, how to confront it, and bridge that gap across the differences you might find in your organization. I focused on inclusive conversations and skills for those inclusive conversations as well, because it can be quite challenging if you're not used to dealing with these difficult subjects around racism and issues around minorities in any organization. Mm -hmm. And of course, communicating about culturally sensitive issues and how to support colleagues from underrepresented groups in your organization as well. Yeah. I love to help organizations cultivate a culture of competence and inclusion and developing cross-cultural intelligence in organizations is a big passion of mine. Oh. So this handbook came out of my running workshops for different organizations around the world. I get hired sitting in New Zealand and now I'm training more women to use my content to go into different corporate organizations to do the same. Yeah. Well, look, you know, it's, it certainly sounds as if, if people want to bring in uh, a specialist uh, or an expert, somebody with the experience and the passion um, that you have, they could look no further to, to bring somebody in to speak and to work with them. I can imagine you being on fire in workshops and being able to uh, elicit the sort of participation that you, you'd really want in that sort of environment. And so in regards to that, uh, of course, we, people can see above us uh, in this in this conversation um, the areas where we can people can contact you, but we'll touch on that a little bit and uh, further just when we just finish up. I guess, uh, look, you, you are an every woman. Um, you, you've covered so much ground. You've obviously got an enormous amount of energy. Um, you are in one of the most amazing countries in the world. Even today, you're in, a, in a, an amazing country in Australia, which I think you've got family, uh, many layers of family there, uh, from what I understand, which is awesome. Um, Thank you so much for telling that story. Uh, I mean, you know, there are so many reasons why people can't achieve or feel as if they they, they can't achieve. Um, I think your story is incredible in terms of what you're telling people about overcoming diversity, adversity, and then talking now these days about equity, equality, diversity in the workplace especially. I can only encourage people to want to contact you to, to speak with you. You and I have had a number of conversations off camera, of course, and I'm just thoroughly amazed by, by what you tend to achieve. Um, we always like to find out from our guests a, a bit of a tip and, and a bit of a heads up uh, from your learnings and from your journey um, to pass on to others, whether it be young women or just folks coming into the fields that you've operated in. What would be your tips for others to leave behind from this conversation? I would say if you feel that urge to lead, Trust your gut, follow your instincts. Um, leaders are born 
with an urge to lead. And fear is one of the biggest things that holds us back. The fear of judgment, the fear of being wrong, fear of making a mistake. I would say jump in feet first, learn to swim when you get there. That's exactly what I did. And when you are in a leadership role, remember that the first person who follows you is also a leader. A leader can't lead without other people following them. So I've given a lot of focus throughout my career to those who follow me because you're a lone nut if you're alone trying to, for example, start a movement or implement change in your organization. So pay attention to those who are in your inner circle and be supportive of them as well. Okay. Well, very sage words from somebody who's been there and done that, I must say. And uh, I certainly am, and I'm sure many in our audience uh, are much richer for the experience of of having the conversation with you today. Uh, again, uh, let's let's hear how people can contact you. What are the best platforms to, for contact for you for for business or for for contact and advisory? Um, best place is LinkedIn. I have a presence on Facebook, but LinkedIn has got all of my contact details. Please reach out to me there. Um, our website is the Her Story Circle. Com and Facebook. Those are the three platforms where I pay a lot of attention to. Awesome. Well, we've listed as uh, above, again, that favourite TED Talk um, that I first saw and knocked me around quite a bit um, and all the, for all the right reasons. And uh, I'm going to highly recommend that people would see that. Uh, Gertrude Maxi Kanishki. Uh, it's been a revelation meeting you and talking to you. I can't help but think as serial entrepreneurs with you now in Wellington and me from Wellington that we're not going to collaborate in the future. <laughs> I certainly look forward to doing that. Thank you so much for your time and we look forward to uh, talking to you again once the book is out. It's been an absolute honour and thank you so much for helping share my story.